Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 947. But let us begin with prayer. God of wisdom, you promised to give your spirit to those who ask. Overwhelm us with your word that we may know you more fully, love you more passionately, and follow you more closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From Luke's Gospel. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answered from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. So a long time ago... In a galaxy far, far away, I was in college. <laughs> it was my senior year, the best that I can remember, and I lived in a house just right off campus with three of my fraternity brothers. One of my roommates was my best friend, Roy. Roy was a year younger than me, but we were from the same hometown. And I had even worked for his dad when I was in high school. Now, as many of you know, I went to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And Fayetteville is nestled up into the Ozark Mountains. I remember one afternoon, my friend Roy invited me to drive down to Fort Smith for a social event and then return later that evening. To me, it seemed like a long drive, and the weather was looking a bit dicey, so I declined and decided to stay home. Fort Smith was down the mountain, we would say, in the Arkansas River Valley in the flatlands. It was only about 60 miles from Fayetteville, but those 60 miles back then to get there had to go along curvy and mountainous road, and late at night it could be rather lonely and foggy. So that night after I went to bed, maybe around midnight, the house phone rang, 
And yes, remember, this is pre-cell phones, so if you wanted to talk to somebody on the phone, you actually had to go find a phone to talk to them. It was not in your pocket. So the phone continued to ring and ring, and I heard one of my roommates upstairs finally answer it, mumble a few words into the receiver, and slam it back down. It must have been a crank call. Then the phone rang again. No one answered it this time upstairs, and I was just too cozy and sleepy in my bed, and I wondered who in the world would be calling a bunch of college kids anyway in the middle of the night. But as I dozed in and out in that restless kind of sleep when something's kind of irritating you but you're sleepy, I kept hearing that phone ring, but no one else would answer it. Finally, after what seemed like hours of on and off ringing, I threw off the covers and stormed out of bed and snatched up the phone in the hall, and I most likely said a few choice words into that receiver. Then in a meek voice, I recognized my friend. It was Roy. His car had broken down on the way home. It had conked out at one of the highest and most desolate places on that road, Kessler Mountain about halfway between Fort Smith and home. It was dark, it was raining, and he was alone. There wasn't a gas station in sight. He had found a house and the owners were very unhappily letting him use their phone to call for help. Could I come pick him up, he asked me. He was stranded by the road in that dark place and I'm sure I mumbled some words of assurance and I quickly got dressed. And for the next 30 minutes, I drove through the fog and the rain to Kessler Mountain. I practiced over and over again the torrent of anger and rage that I was going to unleash on my friend. How irresponsible it had been of him. Why hadn't he looked after that faulty battery that had been causing him trouble for weeks? How unfair it was to drag me out of bed in the middle of the night. And then I spotted his car on the side of the road. As I pulled over, my friend Roy bound out of his car with relief and joy just glowing over his face. And I was locked and loaded. I was gonna wipe that smile right off his face. <laughs> now I didn't say anything at first, you know, I wanted to enjoy the moment of him groveling and filled with self-loathing at my feet and begging for repentance. So Roy spoke first. He thanked me for coming. And then he said, you know, of all the people I could have called, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. My friend was persistent, and he was confident in me, even when I wasn't so confident in myself. And yes, we're still friends. He was the best man in my wedding. And by the way, Roy's last name is Clinton. He is, yes, one of those famous Arkansas Clintons. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> Persistence and confidence. Persistence and confidence, not friendship. Alone, Jesus says, is the reason the friend finally gets three loaves of bread. Persistence and confidence is how my friend Roy got home that night. 
Be persistent and confident in your prayers, Jesus tells us. Let's look at that text. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So Jesus has been observed over and over again by his followers praying, and something about his prayers gets their attention. They had been with Jesus for quite some time now. By the time we're in Luke's gospel in the 11th chapter, the, they've all been together for a really long time. And they have seen Jesus pray in lots of places and in lots of situations. They had witnessed him in prayer at his baptism. They had witnessed him in prayer at times of great ministry and at times when he needed to step away and at times when he needed to be by himself and pray. Prayer from the beginning of Jesus' ministry was important and visible. Also, prayer was a central part of the Jewish faith. The typical Jewish rite of worship at the temple would have centered around recited public prayers, mornings and evenings. Spoken prayers to God would have been a major part of Jesus' daily life as well as the daily life of his followers. But there was something about Jesus' prayers the way he prayed that brought his disciples to ask, Lord, teach us to pray. This is our lesson for today. We need to be in prayer on a daily basis. Now, for some of you, that's easy. You're already there. But for many, prayer can be a stumbling block. One of many things that has gone by the wayside in our hustle and bustle 24-7 life. Or maybe our prayer is kind of like a fire extinguisher inside one of those glass boxes on the wall. We only break it out when there's a fire. And the rest of the time it just kind of hangs there neatly and quietly on the walls of our lives. But my prayer for you this day will be that we all walk out of here renewed in our sense of the necessity of daily prayer in our life. So let's get back to that text and see what it teaches us. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this. When you pray. He didn't say if. He said when. Jesus is projecting into the future that you will be praying, and it will happen repeatedly. Then he, dis then he teaches Three things about God and three things about us in this prayer. First of all, Father, hallowed be thy name. So this prayer is directed to the Father, the Pater. Dear Father, we know who our prayer is directed to. We are directing our prayer to someone known to us. This is not a prayer to some nameless or faceless idol. But this is a prayer to our Father, the God who created the universe, the God who brought us out of slavery, the God who loved us so much that he brought his only son, Jesus Christ. Father, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, let your name be regarded as holy. When you are in prayer, you are in an act of worship. Prayer is an act of worship, and it is holy. Your kingdom come. 
This is a petition for God's reign to make itself known and is already being made known in Jesus Christ. God's kingdom is to come. Not Bart's kingdom, not the kingdom of the Presbyterian church, but God's kingdom. Then three things about us. Give us each day our daily bread. If we translate that the way the actual Greek laid it out, it would be our bread the daily keep to us today. Our bread the daily keep to us today. The verb tense there suggests that the bread will come and it will continually come. God will provide for our daily living. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. If we cannot forgive others, then we may be revealing that we do not know God's forgiveness ourselves. How can we fully receive God's grace if we do not share that grace with one another? And do not bring to us the time of trial. God does not bring us to times of trial, but God does allow us a free will. And this might be better understood as a time of testing. We will be tested, but there will be a way out. So to help the disciples and us kind of better understand these instructions, he tells a story. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence. He will get up and give him whatever he needs. Hospitality was strictly observed, a strictly observed custom in the Middle East of Jesus' day. And a person caught without bread or drink for a visitor, even an unexpected visitor, would be a host in desperate and needy position. Only such a breach of custom could drive a man outside in the dark. After the whole town or village would be locked up and in bed for the night. I mean, in those days, only people up to no good were the ones that were out after dark. Yet this need to be a good host and a welcoming member of the broader community drives this man to his neighbor's house in the darkness of night to beg for some help. Only such a need as this would drive him to this level of persistence. The word that we translate there, persistence, at its Greek root also implies boldness, even daring in the pursuit of bread for his unexpected guest. This is what Jesus is saying should be our attitude as we approach God in prayer. A persistent confidence that is bold and persistent in our prayers to God. It is not a prayer that is asked in a demanding or disrespectful way but a prayer that recognizes that God calls us to approach in humbleness. Jesus continued, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will open. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? 
Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is approachable and should be approached with persistence and confidence. Now, it seems to me that Jesus gives us a model there in that prayer. Three things. First, prayers are to be brief and real. The effectiveness of your prayer has nothing to do with its length or the flowery presentation, using the right words. Simple prayers are the best. Simple prayers that deal with real life. Second, Jesus emphasizes persistence. The parable Jesus tells us about persistence is not about the nature of God. God is not in bed with his children asleep and reluctant to come to the door and answer our prayers. Jesus is telling us to approach God boldly as we would a neighbor or a friend and ask repeatedly without giving up. God will reward our persistence. And third, Jesus tells us to pray with confidence. We, to, we are to expect an answer. And miracles, are, miracles can happen. We are not praying for what we can do, but we are praying to the power of the one whom we pray. If our earthly father wants to give us whatever we ask for, how much more does our father in heaven who loves us perfectly Give us when we come into God's presence through prayer. So I said we'd speak the truth in here. The truth is I know what you're thinking. I sense it. I know it because it's in my heart too. Maybe some arguments to this point. I can think of a couple. There may be more. For many of us, our earthly fathers have been absent or negligent or downright scorpion givers. But I can tell you from my own life, God blessed me with many fathers. Two loving and self-sacrificing grandfathers, both men of faith, and a host of mentors, both male and female, who have guided me through my life. And it's in them where I have seen and continue to see the face of God. So if you, the imagery of your earthly parent is not a good one for you, think on the people in your life who have presented the goodness, the self-sacrificial living of God, our Father in heaven. Or maybe you have prayed to God. You have prayed and prayed and wept and prayed on your knees and it just didn't work out the way you wanted. Your prayers were not answered. And now you're disappointed with God. You know, it's not in our text today, but some ancient manuscripts and in the formal Lord's Prayer that we say in church, after your kingdom come, we say, your will be done. Your will be done. God's will, not ours. God's timing is perfect. Ours, not so much. So when we pray with persistence and with confidence in God, the benefits are many. 
We experience the goodness of God as we communicate our deepest thoughts and desires. We become eager participants in the purposes of God, turning our lives over to God's vision for our lives and not the vision of others. And we enter into God's presence with persistence and confidence, knowing that God will bless us with God's eternal grace and love. Jesus tells us to continue to pray in persistence and confidence. What Jesus is telling the disciples in us is extravagant and wide open. He is flinging wide open the doors of God's mercy and grace. The promises are lavish and assertive. They encourage us to come with confidence and assurance to the throne of grace, hesitating not for a moment to ask God the desires of our hearts. Yes, we all know that many of the requests we make of others are not always answered positively. And this for us sometimes can be true of our request to God. But Jesus insists that God is ready and willing to respond to our prayers. We must not ever shy away or hesitate with our supplications and prayers. No matter how many times we pray, we must trust that God hears and is in fact eager to give us what we need. Jesus promises us that God will act in love on behalf of those who come to him in prayer. Now we have a part to play in this. We must first approach God with persistence and confidence. God, according to Jesus, takes delight in answering our prayers. Therefore, our approach should be persistent and filled with confidence that God will act. We truly have no other recourse as Christians. Once we put aside our insecurities, we can have a loving, grace-filled conversation with God, our Creator. And my friends, that is everything. Now, each and every Sunday at most weddings and funerals, and just in a few moments right here in this sanctuary, we will say together the Lord's Prayer. And like many of us, when I recite a well-known verse or a well-known prayer, I can slip into a rote repetition of a memorized prayer. A prayer many of us have already said maybe over a hundred times this year, and Christians around the world have said for two millennia. But from this day forward, let this prayer be spoken with persistence and confidence, as those who believe that God is willing and anxiously awaiting to hear the prayers of his beloved creatures. A prayer that is the beginning of a conversation with a loving and expectant God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.